Thank you, choir. Thank you for that. Please join me for prayer. Holy and gracious Father, you have a word for us. A word to set us free. A word that directs us to your Son, who is the Word. We ask, gracious Father, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts so that we would see Christ, our Lord and Savior, and in seeing Him, that we would truly see you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the word church, what picture comes to your mind? For some, the word invokes the image of a building, maybe with a cross, a steeple. For others, the word church invokes a picture of people gathering together to sing hymns, to pray prayers, to receive the word and sacraments, and then who are sent out to do God's work in this world. Maybe that's the image that comes to your mind when you hear the word church. For others still, the word church invokes a different image, a, a, a painful image. Instead of warmth, the word causes people to think of a place filled with pain and guilt, fear and doubt, where, where those around you actually attack you instead of loving you. Maybe that's the word that comes to your mind when you hear the word church. Maybe all those images come to your mind as you think of what church is. For me, the image of church radically changed in the last few days. As I shared before, any time I'd ever gone to an ELCA gathering, I left frustrated. I left feeling alone. I even, as you read in that letter, I was once chastised publicly for wanting to build a new sanctuary. That was my experience with a larger church body. Ten years of it. Ten years of coming home and writing my letter of resignation to never send it. But this changed this last weekend, or last few days in Indianapolis. I gathered with a whole lot of people who I didn't know, but I wanted to know. People who came together, and I thought we were going to complain about the ELCA, but we didn't. Instead, we gathered together around God's word. Gathered together in prayer. Gathered together in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gathered together to find out how we can be a group of people. How we can be congregations. How we can be a, 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 a synod, a, a collection of churches. A collection of people going forward, advancing the gospel. I was radically changed in the last few days. Even more, I'll tell you, we had a man, an African man, who, who stood up. And he's representing the African immigrant congregations in America. 110 congregations. As well as ties to the 17 million Lutherans in Africa. Now, mind you, the ELC has 4 million Lutherans. 17 million Lutherans in Africa who stood up and said, we want to be about the gospel. We want to be a church that, that preaches Christ and Christ crucified. 
who offers the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. That's what we want to be about. And I'll tell you, when we gathered and we sang, your pastor wept like a baby for all day. It was marvelous. I share this image with you because in our reading from James 5, we're given a vision of what the church is supposed to look like. James tells us the church is supposed to be a place where the strongest of members help the weakest. The church is a place where people can gather together to confess their sins to each other and receive the forgiveness of sins. The church is a place where we gather together broken and yet find healing. The church is a place where the prodigals are sought after and brought back in and where elders aren't kicking people out, but they're grabbing them, ministering to them, and bringing them in. Listen to how James describes the church, his vision for the church. John, or James 5, beginning with verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly, and it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover him over a multitude of sins." What a beautiful picture of church. Gathering together, praying for each other, healing each other, loving each other, caring for each other. And yet, as gracious as these words are, I'm afraid that most of us don't hear these words as gracious. Instead, we hear these words as law. We hear these words, and if you're like me, because I read this this way normally, without Christ, I read these words like this. If you're sick, well, you better pray. And you need to deal with your sin because that's probably what's causing you to pray. And if you're truly righteous, then you'll be healed. If you're not healed, then uh, you better look in the mirror because you might not be righteous. That's how we read this passage naturally. That's how we read these passages without Christ. We read these passages and think, the trouble that I have is because of myself, and I better get myself together in order to find healing. There's so many problems with that kind of thinking. First, again, you don't need Christ with that kind of thinking. You just need yourself. The problem with it is the focus is entirely wrong. It's not on God's power. It's on yours. It's not dependent on what God does. It's dependent on what you do. God's not in heaven waiting for you to make yourself righteous enough so that then he'll answer your prayer. It's as though, you know, you're praying and going, oh God, 
please hear my prayer. And he's sitting there going, ooh, your righteous level is just a little bit low. Keep going, though. Keep going. Ooh, you're getting closer. I'm about ready to, to answer that prayer. But wait, wait, wait. Just keep praying. Do three more works of mercy, four more prayers, hit two communions on the way, and then I'm going to answer your prayer. It's not how God works. Because that kind of God would be a God who would not send Christ to save us. James knows this. James knows this. And that's why in verse 17, he says something very important. He gives the example of Elijah, but he says of Elijah this. Elijah was a man just like us. This is so important because if you know anything about Elijah, you know he was a man just like us. There's moments when he had great faith. He did great things for God, had powerful prayers. But Elijah was a man just like us. He had his doubt. He had his questions. He had his despair. Elijah was a man just like us. He was a righteous man because he trusted God. But he was a man just like us. If our prayers are dependent on what we do, then it's dependent on what we do and not on God. Elijah was a righteous man. He trusted God. But Elijah was a, a man just like us. The power of prayer is not with the man. The power of prayer is from God. Just because we pray and the prayers aren't answered doesn't mean that we're not righteous. We're righteous because of Christ. That's what we learned last week. James tells us, look in the mirror. See the law of Christ. See Christ. That's your righteousness. But why doesn't God answer our prayers if we're righteous? Maybe he's waiting to turn us, maybe. Or maybe he's just waiting. One of the things I think we often forget is that when we pray, pray, we think that God's going to answer it right away. And yet often God answers that prayer so much later. I mean, I've been praying for 10 years for a church to go to or a church to belong to, a place to belong. This is the first time in 10 years that it's happened. Now, by church, I mean a gathering of congregation. I belong in this church. I love this church. This is the one place that has been church for me. So just in case you're going, what's he really saying? I'm not saying that. <laughs> but 10 years. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is the story of Zechariah. If you remember Zechariah, Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you remember him, they were barren. In fact, Luke 1 says, they were both righteous in God's sight, observing all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord without the least blame. Nevertheless, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Now let's think about that for a second. They were righteous. They were blameless. They were childless. Do you think they prayed for a child? 
Absolutely. And prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Until one day, they stopped praying. The answer from God must be no. God must have a different purpose for us. And so they went that way. And they resided themselves to not having children. And then as they were both old, and as he was just simply doing his life, serving God, as he did before, then the angel Lord appeared to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, don't be afraid, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. I think Zechariah was going, oh God, I'm too old. Why didn't you answer 40 years ago? The prayers that we say are heard by God. They are answered in his time and not ours. The prayer of a righteous man, we are righteous in faith. The prayer of righteous Zechariah is powerful. Answered in our timing? No. Answered in exactly the way we want it? No. But answered by God? Yes. But it's that waiting that's so terrible, isn't it? As you're praying and you're petitioning, as you're waiting and crying out, it's those times when we fall into despair, fall into doubt. And when we fall into despair and fall into doubt, we fall into deep sin. We get ourselves in all kinds of messes. We do things that we're not ashamed of, or that we are ashamed of. And some things we're not ashamed of, and we should be, but that's a whole other sermon. And that's what James knows that, and that's why he's saying, in the midst of that, in the midst of your prayer, in the midst of your sickness, of course he's going to say confess to one another. Why? Because you have a lot to confess. Because there's plenty of doubt and plenty of despair. And so gather together. Seek each other out. Confess your sins. Forgive one another. Have the elders come down. Not kicking you out, but bringing you in. And when you're in such a bad place that you say, I've had enough with God, and you run off, James says, well, go after them and grab them. And don't let them sit in their homes saying, I'm done with church because church has hurt me. No, you grab them. And you bring them back so that they might be forgiven, so they might be put back together and made whole. I'm reminded of that wonderful hymn. It says, as we worship, grant us vision till your love's revealing light in its height and depth and greatness dawns upon our quickened sight, making known the needs and burdens your compassion bids us bear, stirring us to ardent service, your abundant life to share. That's what the church is to be. Place of forgiveness and healing. Place where the strongest seek out the weakest to love and to forgive. What a vision. What a challenge for all of us. And yet, just because the church is a place for the weak does not mean the church is weak. In fact, it's in such a vulnerable place 
where great strength occurs. Listen to verse 16 and following. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You might remember that story of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet during the time of King Ahab. King Ahab was a terrible king. Israel is probably the worst king of Israel. And during that time, as he married Jezebel, they, had their, they, they introduced all kinds of, of idol worship and immorality into the land. I mean, the time in Israel would probably make our time blush. It's a bad, bad place at that time. Very little faith. And because the people were worshiping Baal, the fertility god, Elijah had to pray. God, don't let it rain. Why? So that the people would be forced to say, who's really in charge of the rain? Is it Baal, the one we worship, the fertility god? Or is it the Lord God, the Almighty? Who really is in charge there? In fact, in 1 in, in, uh, Kings 18, Baal sa- or, this is what it says. It says, Isaiah, or, I'm tired. <laughs> Elijah said, why isn't Baal answering our prayers? And then he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Those words struck me deeply, not before this week, but after, because as I was flying back, I was reminded that three different people at that assembly, the opening speaker, and then the man from Africa, and then the, the Hispanic pastor, all quoted these words and said, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. You can't follow both. God answered Elijah's prayer. When the people saw Elijah's prayer, and when they saw that God brought fire down on the sacrifice a little later, the people of Israel said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. One righteous man praying to God, Elijah, man, just like you and me, filled with doubt, filled with faith. Saint Sinner. One righteous man, his prayer was powerful, changed a nation. That's the kind of vision James has for us today. A church filled with, with sinners, a church where we seek one and each other out, a, a church that's willing to confess sin and administer forgiveness, and yet a church willing to pray. And willing to be patient, knowing that their prayer will be answered. In our timing, no, but in God's, yes. Now that final question is, can we believe James's vision? 
can we really believe that this is how church is to be? I mean, how does he, how can he really see a church like that? And the answer is simple. He learned this vision, he received this vision from his brother Jesus. In Jesus, he sees a person who was willing to touch the lowly. In Jesus, he saw God forgiving the sinner. God eating with tax collectors. God, the good shepherd, going after the sheep, becoming weak. And yet James also saw in Jesus strength. Jesus who was able to cast out demons. Jesus who overturned tables in the temple. Jesus who on the cross became weak to save us. And yet in his weakness had strength to defeat sin, death, and the devil. And who on that very cross, Jesus, that righteous man, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful. For that prayer it was answered, is answered, and extends 2,000 years later to us. That we would be a community shaped by that prayer. Father, forgive them, and let this be a church that forgives those who have sinned. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so that's why James, earlier in chapter 1, tells us to look into that mirror, the mirror of the perfect law of liberty, that law of love, that law who is Christ, who is the end of the law. And to see in Christ how we're to live. And to see in Jesus who we really are. And to see in Jesus who we, he is making us to be. And to see in Jesus the vision of what a church is to be. A place of, of mercy and strength. A place for sinners to, to be forgiven. And a place for the righteous to pray. A place for you and for me. Lord, help us to be such a place. In Jesus' name, amen.